0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going into the world of philosophy, and we're going to be talking about William James. Uh, Before I go into talking about his philosophy of pragmatism, I do want to go into a little bit of just his background, because his background is uh, really quite interesting and diverse. Uh, William James is, if the last name sounds familiar, it's because his brother is the novelist Henry James. Um, Henry James was William's younger brother. Uh, Between the two of them, they produced massive amounts of books. Uh, Henry James's books tend to fall under psychological fiction, uh, whereas William James uh, actually wrote a book on uh, psychology and wrote a lot on psychology and started as a psychologist, but also is considered the founder of pragmatism. Uh, These two grew up to a very wealthy family and this family was also one that traveled in a lot of circles. Um, They regularly would have house guests like Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, Walt Whitman, and lots of other famous people from the time. In fact, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson is, or was, both of them are dead now, was William James's godfather. So these people were connected to lots of people in literature and philosophy in lots of different areas. And this is really something that you see a lot when you look at the earlier era of writers and philosophers and musicians. You did tend to see a lot more um, interaction between the disciplines. And this is something I've, you know, addressed before. This is something that starts to go away as you get into the later part of the 20th century and you really have you know people diverging into their fields and not really going back and forth between the fields and i think uh, specialization has played a large part in this but it's also stunted a lot of the intellectual growth of the various fields Um, one of the things that always helps is always a benefit is when you have diverse influences, when you have diverse uh, types of people you converse with. And this is definitely something that William and Henry grew up with and lived with their entire lives. Uh, Henry found his way a little earlier. He was actually writing and publishing novels by the time he was in his late teens, early 20s, and was already making a name for himself in his early 20s. Uh he was william's younger brother so it kind of put a little bit of pressure on william to figure out what he wanted to do with his life uh william started out thinking maybe he wanted to be a painter uh then he went and decided on you know going into medicine uh he then ended up going into teaching he taught anatomy and physiology and medicine at harvard he also you know, starts to go into the field of psychology and study and write into the field of psychology. And later on in his career, he branches into uh, philosophy and pragmatism. So he's a very prolific thinker and writer, and he's influential in a lot of areas. Um, when you look at psychology, there's a lot of the psychology that you know, followed in the footsteps of William James. Uh, There's a lot in the world of philosophy. In fact, he's considered, as I said, the founder of the only American school of philosophy, which is pragmatism. He's considered their most important writer and the person who really originated it. And a lot of times when people study American philosophers, they really don't study much outside of him, even though there are American philosophers that came after even in the tradition of pragmatism. So he's seen as a thinker who has a very diverse background, but also has a very diverse uh, array of people that he influenced in a lot of different fields. Um, Today I want to talk about two of his areas a little bit. I want to talk about pragmatism, but I also want to talk about some of his psychology. Um, And James is someone who his ideas while they seem like they're all over the place, they do build on each other. He was someone who believed that you had to constantly bring in more perspectives and more ideas to get a better idea of what's going on, to get a better idea of what you're talking about. So his, you know, time studying anatomy and physiology wasn't wasted time. It was something that helped him, you know, develop scientific methods and even questioned the scientific methods that he would later on use in psychology and later on use in um, philosophy with pragmatism. So all of these things really do build on each other. Um, He had a lifetime of kind of seeing different perspectives, seeing things at different levels, and this is one of the things that makes him um, a very important and insightful both psychologist and philosopher, is that he really is uh someone who digs in. he really is someone who believes in the scientific method now, from his psychology, I'm just going to mainly pick out one thing for today, <clears throat> and that the reason I'm picking that out is that it has a huge influence on the world of literature. uh One of the things that he is known for in his um in his book on his big book on psychology is the idea of stream of consciousness. Now, some of this idea came partially from Freud's association, but the idea comes much more directly from James's stream of consciousness that he talks about in psychology. And he wants to outline the way that the conscious mind works. And it isn't um, something that's completely new because he does borrow ideas from earlier people, but he takes them in novel different directions. And he actually gets the idea for stream of consciousness, the terminology from Heraclitus, the ancient Greek philosopher. Uh, one of the things Heraclitus said was, "You can never step in the same river twice, and what he meant by this is when you step in a river, the water that's flowing past your leg and the fish and the you know bits of sand and seaweed and whatever else is floating through there is not going to be the same. As when you step in it a little while later. You know, those things will have moved on down the river, it'll be something new. And so this is kind of the idea that you can't relive something completely the way it was. This is one of the reasons that when people try to relive their past or relive an experience, it's never quite the same experience. And the reason for this is you're not the same person. You're not coming from the exact same place. You're older, you have more things that have occurred to you, you had more ideas you've been exposed to, so you are not the same person that experienced it the first time. Uh, yes, you're the same person as in you're the same biological organism, but your mind has been um, has moved along. It's, it's been influenced by more, and this is a large part of the way he saw the mind and consciousness as working; it isn't just a snapshot of the external world. It isn't just the mind moving towards objects in the external world in a vacuum. He doesn't believe you can create this ideal connection. Um, he, you know, he he would be very critical of the ideas of he was very critical of the ideas of, you know, Husserl and Heidegger and these people who want to find sort of uh, almost this universal uh, connection, this universal uh, grounding in the between the mind and the world of phenomena. Um, he doesn't believe this is possible, mainly because he studied the way the brain and the way perception worked very rigorously. Uh, not only himself, but he also you know, read a lot of other people who were doing it too. And, you know, a lot of what they were realizing is that we construct our sensory perceptions. He believed that all of our knowledge, he was an empiricist, all of our knowledge comes from the external world, but it doesn't come to us uh, pristine. It doesn't come to us in a vacuum. It comes to us with, you know, clouded by our perceptions in the past. It comes to us clouded by the things that occur around it. Um, And this is why, you know, no, even when you try to relive something, you can never relive it the way it occurred the first time because you've seen more, you've done more, and all of the um, situations will never be able to be exactly reproduced. Um, This is also something that can be seen as a uh, major blow against the idea of we can go back to the good old days. Because the things, even if the good old days existed, the circumstances that caused those things to occur can never be repeated. We are not the same people. We do not have the same history anymore. We do not have, you know, the technology has changed. The age, even if you had the same people trying to live the same thing, their ages have changed. And so there is no Kind of ability to perfectly recreate instead he sees the mind as um, interacting with the things in the real world um, and sort of creating it uh, not really creating it but creating the meaning of it um, and he gives a lot more information on this too you know he talks about the fact that we don't um, we don't take in any of the stimuli in isolation, and we're constantly bombarded with lots of different stimuli. Now, when you are, you can't focus on every single thing that is occurring. This is one of the things that I've, you know, I've even talked about in some of my lectures that can be traced back to James. Um, The brain has to be able to focus out what it considers non-essential. Otherwise, we couldn't focus on anything. Um, we would be constantly bombarded with sensory impressions and all of them would be equal. We wouldn't be able to have any kind of uh, ability to think, ability to make decisions. For example, I'm sitting in a room right now, it has furniture, it has carpet, it has wallpaper, it has you know lights, it has different things in the room. And if I were to, if I weren't able to just focus out all of the things that aren't my brain doesn't consider important at the moment, I could never focus on any one thought because I would just constantly shift from, you know, thinking about the different ideas and different objects in the room and I couldn't make any sense of them because I couldn't focus on any of them long enough. So, one of the things that we have to be able to do is focus. We have to be able to, our brain puts an idea of these are the important ideas, these are the unimportant ideas. Um, and he gives examples like when you read something and it 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 explains something from a certain perspective. And then you go out looking in the world and you start to see, oh wow, this connects to this other thing now. And this connects to this thing. and And we start to see life from a different perspective because it's been expanded, Um, and these things were always there before. Those connections were there. Um, The fact that we didn't see them was because our brain was organizing the information based on the things it felt was important. And so this stream of consciousness that he's talking about is the brain moves along almost like a stream. It's constantly being influenced, it's constantly flowing along, um, and we have the appearance of complete continuity. Now whether or not we have continuity or not, there's debates on that or how long the continuity can be. Um, But we do view our, our life as kind of one long stream. But it's not a direct line. It's it's kind of a meandering and flowing stream. And when things influence and change the course, it changes the course. You know, if I'm uh, in a good mood and then a car goes by and splashes water on me, that might change my mood and get me thinking about different things. And then while I'm thinking about, you know, how bad it feels to be wet, now when I start thinking, well, now I'm also hungry too, and i start thinking about what i'm going to eat and then i start thinking about you know what what sounds good what did i eat last what you know and and my brain will just go into different associations and that might even take me into you know well what am i going to do after i eat um so the brain the consciousness works like that and this is one of the things that james kind of lays out in his stream of consciousness is that it's not a straightforward plot And remember, when we talked about the modernists, they really picked up on the playing around with the timeline, the playing around with the plot line. And you can see a lot of this goes back to James. And, you know, this is one of the things as I do these podcasts and as I talk about these thinkers, I do constantly want to also show you how none of these people are in a vacuum, not even in a vacuum within their own field, they still are influencing people in other fields, and other people in other fields are influencing them. And as you put these things together, you start to get a bigger picture. And this actually goes along with James's thinking, because this is the way he saw the world. He didn't see the world as something we would ever have the solid foundation. He was definitely empiricist. He saw that all of our information came from our sensory perceptions. And he felt that they would always be limited because we're one individual peeking out. But this isn't something that he saw as, you know, hopeless and a a reason for despair. Because there are other people and other perspectives and other um, experiences. And so he was very much a person who believed that everyone can teach you something. And this is something I've also adopted and believed. You know, no matter how smart or unintelligent they are, if they're completely unintelligent, they may teach you how not to do something. Um, but everyone has things they can add. And James felt that the way to really um, expand yourself, to expand your view of your your vision of the truth, and for him, truth, we'll, we'll get into a little bit when we talk about pragmatism, um, is something that is relative to your life and constantly growing if you are expanding um, the ideas you're exposed to, if you're putting them together in new ways, if you're looking at the world from different perspectives. Now, I want to go into uh, transition from there into pragmatism, Um, because one of the things about pragmatism that separates it is this idea of talking about truth. And this is one of the places that James saw other philosophers as kind of um, falling down on and something that he wanted to go in a different direction with his uh, philosophy, with pragmatism. Um, He saw temperament as being something that tended to cloud the perceptions of philosophers. And he he split it into two groups, the tough-minded and the tender-minded. And depending on the philosopher and depending on the individual, even outside of philosophy, they would organize their thoughts based on which camp they fell into or which camp they fell into the most. Now, by tender-minded, he meant people who um, sort of have uh, a faith in things are going to work out. They have optimism. They have... You know, a belief that we can that the truth is there and we can have it, and that you know um, things can uh, move in a better way, and 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 sort of more spiritual sense. Um, This is not something that he was demeaning. Uh, Don't take this to mean that he thinks these people are you know wishy-washy, because James was very much someone who was interested in the spiritual realm. Who was interested in you know what is the meaning of it all, so he did have these ideas as well. He's someone who sort of um straddles both camps uh the hard hearted um he saw as much more the deterministic the um you know the hard science the this is the way it is, and like the universe is a clockwork if you look at it from a scientific perspective, or if you look at it from a religious perspective that This is all God's plan, and we're just playing out our parts in it. We don't have any real say-so in what goes on. We're going to play the parts, um, even though we may think we're free, in whatever way the universe or God or whatever has determined that we're going to play them. And, you know, James is very much a scientist. He bases a lot of his stuff on observation, on scientific method. But he's also very much the spiritual person that hopes, and the and you know there's also the side of him that wants to be free. The tender-hearted sees a sees room for freedom. We can influence things. Um, things can be made better. The hard-hearted is these are the facts. We're go, we're running down this rail whether we want it. There's no sense of freedom. And James is kind of in between those two, and he wants to. Um, you know, see how freedom can exist, because he's very much a person who believes in freedom. And so one of the things that he challenges in his pragmatism is the idea of uh, of, of monisms, that there's only the physical properties, or that there's only one, you know, spiritual property underneath that is in complete control and guides everything. And he was much more a fan of pluralism. And in pluralism, there's much more of the idea that you know, while there may be a creator, while there may be, you know, clockwork mechanisms in the universe, um, through our consciousness, through our interaction, we are able to make choices. We are able to influence the outcome. And so, you know, his philosophy of pragmatism really tries to straddle both of these and kind of pull in the best of both you know, pull in the hopeful optimism in the the spirituality and pull in the, you know, the hard rigor of science and say, you know, by combining these things, we can, you know, have a measure of freedom and work towards something better. Another difference with pragmatism and other philosophies, especially philosophies uh, that were in his time period and all the way back to the ancient time periods, was that philosophers were always looking for what they felt was the solid foundation of truth. You know, think about Descartes when we talked about him. Think about Plato's World of Forms. Think about, you know, Husserl's, um, you know, trying to do the epoque and find out, you know, the original connection with the objects themselves. They were always looking for some solid foundational truth. And pragmatism under you know, uh, under James and under the pragmatists that followed him, said that's the wrong direction for for philosophy to take. Um, we may never get there. And instead of constantly looking back to what might be the solid foundation of everything, he was he was trying to build a philosophy that was more looking forward. What are the outcomes of what we're doing? What are the possible outcomes? Um, what are the behaviors for the pragmatist? They distinguish, um, only by, uh, outward behaviors and outcomes when it comes to whether they're dealing with our two things, the same, uh, if you're a person who really believes you should be kind to others, um, and so you're kind to others, uh, those two things coincide. So the pragmatist would say, we're not really, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter what the internal was, you actually live those values, and so yes, you do seem to show that being kind to others is important, whereas the pragmatist might see if someone says they believe you should be kind to others, and then they're constantly cruel to others, the pragmatist would say, it's of no value that you feel you should be kind to others, because the The practical reality is you're not being kind to others. The reality is you're embracing cruelty. So regardless of what you believe or what you say you believe, the pragmatist would say the reality of this, the truth of this is you're being cruel to others, not being kind to others. So the pragmatists, this is part of why they're seen as as not only since they come from America, but they're also seen as Uh, very much uh, in what would be considered the American ideal. Your intentions don't mean as much as what comes out uh, and what actually happens. You may intend all day long to say something nice to somebody, but if you go along all day saying mean things to people, your intention didn't matter. Uh, The only thing that mattered was what you actually did and what the outcome was. Um, This is also something that, you know, the pragmatists, where they lean towards the, um, you know, the the hard-hearted, you know, the side, uh, where they, you know, also embrace the strict uh, scientific and the strict uh, provable. Because if your uh, intention is to uh, move a boulder um, by yourself, you know, it's a boulder that weighs several thousand pounds, uh, and you push on that boulder all day, and it doesn't move. A pragmatist would say, "Well, you did nothing. You, you know, you're, you're, you, you did not cause that to move at all. Therefore, the the outcome of what you did was nothing. It didn't matter what your intention was. It didn't matter what your effort was. You had to look at what was the what was the outcome in the real world. The outcome in the real world was you couldn't move the boulder. Now, this doesn't mean Again, the pragmatists are not people that are abandoning, them, abandoning themselves to despair. Um, the pragmatist would then say, well, we need to take what we know about the laws of physics and we need to sit, figure out how do we move this boulder if this is something we want done. So the pragmatists are very much about outcomes. They're very much about the way things actually occur, the outcomes that actually come along in the real world. And they don't get into um, discussions too much about things that they feel have no context in daily life, that have no context in the real world. Um, it, it's not that they you know completely uh, would belittle anyone that, that took on these, but the idea is, well, that's just not something our philosophy addresses, and so according to our philosophy, this is not a relevant thing. Um, you know, this would be like someone trying to figure out, uh, you know, which flavor of ice cream was the best, but they don't have any intention of ever eating ice cream. The pragmatist would say, why do you care? This is not something that affects your life. This is not something that you should be wasting your time on. You should only be trying to figure out which is the best flavor of ice cream. if You're actually going to eat ice cream. Um, okay. This one has gone on a little bit long. I'm going to try to break it off right there. Um, He is someone that we will be coming back to um, because he is very influential in the 20th and 21st century. And like I said, not only in the world of philosophy, but also in the world of psychology and in the world of literature. Because remember, we talked about stream of consciousness with the modernist, excuse me, and the postmodernist writers. So he does have a lot of influence. Um, Okay, I hope all of you are doing well, and I hope all of you are staying safe. Have a good night.